Welcome to the Sea Creatures Podcast, a show all about the amazing animals that live beneath the waves. Each episode, we chat about a specific sea creature with a guest who has spent time and interacted with that ocean animal. Our guests range from marine biologists to divers to underwater photographers to people that just love and have an intense passion for ocean life. My name is Matt Testoni, and I'm all of the above. And joining me for this episode of the Sea Creatures Podcast is Sam Glenn Smith, Melbourne local scuba diver and talented underwater photographer. Hey, Sam. G'day. Nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me on. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, today we're going to talk about something that I'm extremely passionate about and extremely lucky to be able to dive and see, which is the Southern Blue Ring Octopus. Ah, very cool. Which cross from where does it range from in Australia? Uh, so mainly found in Southern Australia up to about the... Uh, the top of Victoria before you hit New South Wales. Um, commonly found, you know, rock pools around uh, Victoria and through to South Australia. So under Edithburg Jetty, you get them quite often um, down our local piers down here and at rock pools. And then the further north you go, once you kind of hit the New South Wales border, that becomes the blue lined octopus. Ah, cool. Well, that's something I didn't even know. So we're learning already. And um, let's start off with why Why did you pick, because I asked you, like, come on the show, um, give us an animal you want to talk about. And you picked the blue ring. So why this creature? For me, the blue ring represents just this kind of symbol of power, but also beauty. And it's something that I think a lot of people firstly don't understand it's there and uh also there's an element of this kind of beauty behind this uh evil facade so to speak um some of your viewers may know and some may not know that it's the deadliest ocean uh, deadliest animal in the entire ocean um its venom is a thousand times more toxic than cyanide however with that in mind very very rare for these animals to be provoked and to actually bite you so as a photographer they're they're such an amazing beautiful creature their colors so vibrant um their patterns are amazing and they've got these crazy little personalities that really come out when you find them and uh for me the adventure began i just one day decided i photograph a blurring and i think i spent the next one and a half to two months looking for one, I think four times a week, diving exclusively to find one. And yeah, it took me about one and a half months to find my first one. And since then I find about one to two a dive. Oh, wow. So you get your like eye tuned in. So yeah, like explain to me, like, so I know what a blue ring is, but explain to people listening, like exactly. So we're, we've got an octopus, but how big, yep. what colors? Yeah, of course. So they're quite small, uh, maximum size they get, if you can imagine, roughly the size of a golf ball, um, and then add some arms onto that. That's kind of your, that's your maximum size blurring. Most are a bit smaller, anywhere between the size of your thumb to a golf ball in size. So we're talking quite small. The reason they're so hard to find is because they're, the pictures you see of them, they tend to have these really bright, vibrant blue rings. When you find them, they're actually quite dull um, and they are almost the exact same color as the sand. So they're that 
an off kind of yellow, uh, almost gray in color. And they blend in so beautifully with their environment. And it's not until they are communicating or feel threatened that those rings really start to light up. And that's what we see the photos of. So that's what people expect to see. And that's what I expected to see. But in fact, it's almost like this little wisp of sand moving under you. Cool. And the, the rings are like, I mean, how many, so they're all over the body, right? They're on their tentacles. Yeah. Well, like a yep. few millimeters, I guess, aren't they? Yeah. Very, very small, but covering the entire body. So, you know, you might get a uh, 20 on their head and then maybe eight per, per arm roughly. So, so they, crazy. Yeah. They're amazing. Beautiful creatures. And um, I was actually looking up before what causes like the blue and how they like manage to kind of change color and stuff. Were you looking this up as well? I know a little bit about it, but probably not as much as you do, in all honesty. Well, I'll go then. Um, so they've got what's called chromatophores, and they're these amazing, like, cells which kind of have pigment in them, and they're white. Yep. They're octopus, like, lots of animals have them, but the octopus has them and, like, uses muscles to, like, move them around and kind of, like, squeeze and contract. And by doing that, they change the different pigment and the light coming out. And it's actually hardwired directly into the octopus's brain. So it's kind of like thinks angry or thinks like worried or something. And the blue just flashes up as these muscles kind of contract, kind of like goosebumps. If you get like mm, kind of chills, which is, which is pretty crazy. It's crazy, isn't it? And I mean that I've, I've read in a book that actually you recommended to me, soul of an octopus, that their brain literally extends into their arms. So it's not like they're thinking, like you said, it, they're not thinking, okay, I need to change my color. It's almost the the brain is causing these things to happen without actually needing to send signals to the arms because the brain extends into their arms. It's crazy stuff. Yeah. yeah and, and yeah, just on that, like I think in that book, like it kind of describes it as if you're an octopus and you want to like write a letter, you just set your arm off to like writing a letter and it does it because it's got neuron cells in its actual arm, as you said, which it's crazy. And so it's just doing its own thing. And then you're like, oh, arm, I need your help. And it like comes back to you, which yeah. is just mind boggling. So it is. it is. So back to like when you were searching for like a month and a half, yeah. how did you find them? Where are they? How come now you're able to see one every like, you know, dive? I think that's the million dollar question because a lot of people come to me now wanting to find blue rings. Um, what I found was like, it's very hard to find something if you don't know exactly what you're looking for. And most photos, like I was saying before, tend to be of the glory shot, blurring with tentacles extended or furled out and rings flashing. But very rarely is that how you find them. I knew that night diving was the best time to see them. And I knew that they were regularly found at Blair Gary Pier, which is one of the local dive sites down here on the Mornington Peninsula. So I knew I was in the right area. It was just a question of finding their habitat. And basically it was just a matter of trial and error. I knew roughly that they, they liked rubble, such as abalone shells, other shells of animals, um, man-made rubbish, so Coke cans, uh, wooden logs, things like that. So, you know, it's, it's an element of how hard do you look without affecting their natural environment. And it just so happened that the first one was mere coincidence. I literally swam straight over it and it was out hunting. One oh, wow. was this really big, 
big, beautiful blue ring, probably one of the biggest I've seen, to be honest, just walking literally smack bang under the pier on the sand. And as soon as I saw it, I knew what it was. And from there, because it kind of was that sandy color, I knew what to look for. I knew where to look. I knew what time of day to look. And I knew what time of year I would be more likely to find it. So it just became, it became almost a muscle memory for me. And I knew exactly where to go. And I knew just, it all kind of fell into place. And so did it have its rings when you like, when it was hunting or was that like only once you kind of like had a look and it was like, Whoa, what's this thing? Yeah. So initially I thought, um, well, as you said, when I first saw it, it was very plain, very bland. It was blending in with its environment. And naturally as I went over to it, its rings flared up, but it, it wasn't uh, a massive flare up. It was just, they, they glowed a little bit. It let me know it was there. It let me take some pictures of it, but it kind of wasn't really bothered by my presence. And I think what I found diving with them more and more is that obviously their rings are there as a warning mechanism to warn off potential predators or to warn off potentially other octopus or things like that. Um, and particularly divers, when we get too close, it's basically saying, back off, I'm dangerous, don't mess with me. But I've also found it's a, a communication technique. If you see two blue rings together, which is very, very rare, but on the off chance you do, you'll notice that those those rings are still firing. So yeah, I mean, when when I saw it, it was very plain, very much blended in with its environment as any octopus tends to do. Um, I was in hunting mode, really wasn't bothered by my presence. And when you do get yeah. closer, obviously the rings flare up, but that's not just necessarily a a fight or flight reaction from them it's yeah i believe it's how they use oh that that's how they communicate really yeah so it's not just because you're like floating over them or like got this big camera nearby it's because they're actually like talking to each other which i think yeah, yeah underwater you can't just call out and so like a lot of animals like cuttlefish and stuff use the exact same kind of techniques to talk so yeah i mean i've, I've never been lucky enough to see two at once but that's um really cool that you kind of see them like firing off whether it's like a toughness display or like i would say a mating thing but actually when i was just a random fact when i was reading about them apparently they don't distinguish gender they just kind of like if they're up for a bit of um reproduction they just swim across and like try to basically they hold their eggs in a tentacle or like their sperm like in a kind of sack tentacle and they just try and give it to the female and like place it in a blitz it's called her mantle yeah they'll, they'll just try they'll swim up to any octopus and they'll be like oh do you want this like sack of sperm? And the other octopus would be like, nah, I, I'm, a, I'm a male. And they'll be like, oh, I'm just going to like swim off, which like, just yeah. Go, just, go and try the next one. Yeah, yeah. It's just like a trial and error. And just like the fact two, ring, two of them like flashing rings at each other. I was like, I wonder what they were saying. So given that you like find them and stuff, we also have to talk about how they're actually one of the most, as you said earlier, one of the most deadly animals. So talk us yeah. through like, what you would do to avoid like you don't want to provoke it you don't want it to get angry at you and like bite you and stuff yeah so what do you do to like avoid that do you keep a distance or yeah so what i typically do is you basically let them acknowledge your presence there usually when you find them you'll find them by accident if you're very lucky you might see one out in the open but usually you know you'll you'll flip over a bit of wood and there'll be one under it so what I tend to do is 
before swimming in and taking photos, I hold back. I let it acknowledge my presence. I let it get comfortable with me being there. If it does not want to be there, and nine times out of ten, they're very, very timid and shy creatures, they'll probably just move on, swim away. One out of ten times, they'll be quite comfortable with you and they'll move around and basically totally ignore you and they're the ones that make the really good photos i find that because i photograph them a lot the ones that don't want to be there usually don't make very good photos because you get sand kicked up you get fast moving you don't really get those beautiful displays whereas my favorite photos and the ones that i'll post every day of the week are the ones where they are literally doing their own thing so what I tend to watch for is, does this thing look like it wants to get away from me or does it not care that I'm there? Yeah, so when I'm taking uh, clients diving and particularly when they want to see the blurring, what I'll tend to do is tell them just to kind of stay where they are, hold back for a little bit and I'll find the blurring and just gauge how it's feeling, how it feels about my presence there and if it's happy for us to come over and have a closer look, that's when I'll call the divers over. What I really love about the blurring is unlike other octopus, they they spend a lot of time on the sand and they spend a lot of time walking and crawling along the sand. So if you get the the ones that are patient and they're happy for you to be there, they'll it's almost like an underwater ballet. They extend one tentacle really slowly and they'll it's a really beautiful thing to watch. And I think that is a really good way to show divers these animals versus as you know, these incredibly potent killers that they are often misportrayed as because obviously with with their venom they're extremely dangerous and they're definitely not something you want to get bitten by but as long as you're not putting yourself in that position you're respecting their space underwater like anything if you respect the space underwater you're going to be fine yeah and i, I think that's a really good point like yeah to just res- like as you said respect their space and interact together because animals are used to other animals being around and sharing their space and so, like, I often talk about that, like, with photography and stuff, you know, you just let the animal go about its business or you find the time, and you were talking about earlier how you're, like, kind of reading the animal's mood. And so you find that time when the animal is relaxed, whether, whether yeah. it's because they're hunting or different things, and it often, yeah, let's, leads to a better experience. But on the negative, let's talk about the venom of an octopus, of a blue yeah. specifically. Yes, yeah, so <clears throat> I'm not sure if, well, viewers may or sorry listeners may or may not know but basically they are the deadliest animal in the entire ocean they're a venomous creature and the venom is excreted through their beaks through a bite and it's a thousand times more toxic than cyanide so the <laughs> venom itself is known as tetrodotox and it's the same venom that you'd find in a puffer fish and some poison arrow frogs basically what it does is it targets the respiratory system and shuts it down pretty much leads to death within a few minutes if not treated. Now, the way to treat it is to perform CPR instantly. Yeah. Other than that, there's no anti-venom for it. Which is crazy. And I think I remember reading, like, you've got to perform CPR for about 18 hours or something until the effect yep. wears off. Which, I mean, That's obviously, you, you basically keep someone alive for 18 hours while the venom does its thing and then you're fine. Yeah, because I think, as you said, it like paralyzes all them, like your your lungs and your respiratory, and it like kind of blocks all those muscle kind of signals, so yeah. you can't breathe and all that kind of stuff. One cool thing I did find when I was doing a bit of blurring research, because it's, I mean, as you said, there's different animals, like it's the same toxin in pufferfish and different land animals and like frogs and so forth. How it's actually found in blue rings, 
or like pufferfish and stuff was um it was first recorded properly recorded by um captain cook of the first fleet um when they came to australia and they came to like the pacific islands um they were like eating all these tropical fish which they thought were amazing and then sailors started to get really sick and i think um it was first discovered because the sailors got really sick and then they'd fed the rest of the fish to the pigs on the boat and they woke up the next morning and all the pigs had died and so that was like the first recorded case of it. The Japanese tried to turn it into a bioweapon at one point. And yeah, so as you said, it's a pretty, pretty toxic thing. But the thing mm. I find interesting with the blue rings is like, it's not just defense. It's also a, a feeding thing. Cause like they inject, they'll catch a fish and they'll inject, they'll bite it and inject their venom and they'll kind of paralyze that fish. So it's, it's really interesting that it's used both for like, yeah, defense and offense, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's fascinating. And so that's been um so that's pretty much all the facts I've discovered on octopus. I mean, oh, there's a million more, but for octopus in general, I know um I've seen some of your photos where they've actually got the eggs, which is crazy. The blue ring with eggs. Um very lucky to find that. That's a one in a million shot and I'll probably never see that again. (laughs) Was it out in the it was out in the open, wasn't it? Or was it in like a hole or so basically what happens is once they get eggs, like with many octopus, they find a, a den and they tend to stick to it. The octopus won't eat for the entire gestation period. What happens, and this is one of those situations where you have a lot of people question how you get certain shots. And I, I encourage that. I encourage people to ask me, hey, how did you get that shot? That's not something I've ever seen before. That's not something I would imagine to happen. It's one of those things where... It was literally right place, right time. I just happened to see from the right angle this octopus in a, a certain, uh, I believe it was in a sponge. I just was coming back a, a different way than I'd originally come, than I'd originally been. And I just happened to see what I knew would be a blue ring. And I was like, oh, you beauty, found a blue ring. Started taking photos of it. And it, it basically came out and started moving and decided not i want to move to a different hiding spot and that's when i noticed the eggs and it, it was literally carrying its eggs and it moved to a different spot and after that I, I took maybe four or five photos i got one i was happy with and then i left it right alone because it's not yeah. really a stress that you want to put down in under and had i known it had eggs i never would have photographed it in the first place but yeah that's yeah, just one of those things that it'll never happen again and i'll probably never find one with eggs again but Every now and then you get lucky. I know a lot of divers, particularly at Blair Gary, will see them uh, more out in the sand and they, they kind of fold over themselves and have the eggs fully exposed. So it does happen every now and then and you just got to be a really, really lucky diver to see it. Well, I think if you're getting out there as much as you are and looking for blue rings like all the time, it definitely ups your chances. Um, yeah well i mean that's it i mean i devote a lot of dives to find them because i really love them and i really want to share as much as i can about them and inspire a lot of people to to feel as positively as i do about them and i think that's the important thing like is creating that positivity because the more people see these animals as an amazing animal with amazing colors and not just this threat that's presented on the news the more support there is for like the ocean conservation projects and all that kind of stuff, which, so I think like photography is one of those ways, like people say, oh, you're just taking a photo, but it's a way of showing people what's beneath there and getting them to really care about the ocean. Yeah. Um, it's a way of representing them in a really a nice way as well. It's not just snapping a photo and saying, this is a blurring. It's, it's representing it in that beautiful way that people 
one to look at. And I mean, I've I've had people buy prints of blue rings and they hang them up in their house. You know, people I, I barely know just because it's such a beautiful way to portray something that they may not have originally seen as a beautiful animal. Yeah, and that's so cool that you can have like take a photo that someone's to hang up of an animal in their house that is seen, as you said, just deadly, but is actually um, just beautiful. And on that, um, so we'll come to the last little bit. What, if you're going to take a blue ring photo or say you're going for a dive, you know, how would you take a good blue ring photo? What's some advice? Number one most important thing is the same as before, understand what it's doing. So watch it. Don't swoop in and take as many photos as you can. Hold back for a bit. Watch it. Observe it. You'll see so many different behaviours from literally every blurring has different mannerisms. One will be really friendly and walk towards you. One will be more tentative and hide away and shy. And, you know, other times they'll literally jet off into the water and jet right to the surface. I've seen that happen multiple times and other divers have seen it happen multiple times. That as soon as you see it, it will just jet its way up to the surface. So you can get all these really crazy different ways to portray them. But the number one thing is just to hold back for a little bit and watch what it's going to do. Other than that, I find that my best photos are when I snoot them. So basically putting a, uh, a funnel, so to speak, over my strobe to just direct the light into a really small area as opposed to having this wide flooding beam. And I like to shoot with the light and the snoot coming down over the blurring so it isolates it from its background. And then you end up with that really like cool black background like around it because like this a strobe is like you have to use a strobe underwater because there is such little light so by funneling that light right onto the spot you get this yeah really like yeah stand out is shot don't you yeah and you separate them from their backgrounds which do tend to be messy you know they're in rubble they're on sand It, it can be quite hard to make out exactly what you're trying to show so having that strobe will really illuminate those colors and really get those blues out nice and rich um, but then having the snoot also contrasts it beautifully against a black background. And, you know, the more you see of them, the more you'll see crawling on top of rocks and posing like it's on a throne, lifting tentacles up to the skies if it's, you know, cursing the sun, so to speak. <laughs> you see these crazy things. You just, it's a matter of seeing it and and watching it before you swoop in and take those first photos. And, you know, once it's comfortable with you there you can afford to get really really close to these things and i think as you said before like they if they don't want to be there like they have a octopus have a jet they will literally jet away from you like a jet yeah, ski they'll they'll be gone in a blink of an eye and you won't know where it's gone and you'll go all right better luck next time yeah and i think that's a really important thing like recognizing because some animals they can't escape or they like you know try and sit with camouflage and like you can cause a lot of stress but an octopus Without eggs, it's just kind of cruising around. It, it can get away from you if it wants to. Yeah, well, thanks very much for being on um, our episode about blurring octopus. And if, pleasure. Thanks. if anyone wants to check out what, what people should go and check out your photos, especially the one of the eggs, uh, what's the best way for them to look at your photos? Uh, so currently I'm on Facebook and Instagram under Sammy Glenn Dives. Uh, hoping to have a website up and running later this year, depending on how everything goes with my instructor course. But yeah, otherwise you can jump onto uh, my works website, which is the scuba doctor, uh, sorry, scuba doctor.com.au. And you can get in contact with me through there. But yeah, if you want to see my photos, just 
have a look on Instagram or Facebook at Sammy Glenn Dives. Awesome. Well, thanks very much, man. Yeah, and that brings us to the end. I've been, um, like, had an amazing time talking to you. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you. Sea Creatures Podcast is hosted, produced, and edited by myself, Matt Testoni. You can see more of my photography on Instagram, Matt underscore Testoni underscore photography, and my webpage, mtunderwatermedia.com. If you've liked the podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and visit our Patreon account, patreon.com slash Podcast, to show your support. Production assistance by George McGrath, and music by Dan Musel and his amazing slide guitar. On our next episode, we're going to be talking about Seiko Glossons with Nicole Mertens. So if you don't know what that is, tune in. Sea Creatures Podcast. Over and out.